Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside Contemporary Dance. I'm Amit Abend, and every episode I'll be sitting down with a different dance artist. Together, we'll be discussing their dreams, their triumphs, their challenges, their art, and everything in between. For today's conversation, I had the pleasure of talking to Natalie Wagner. It is impossible for me to sum up over two decades of Natalie's super diverse professional career, but here is a little bit about her. As a dancer, Natalie worked with and for choreographers such as Jarome Bell, Katia Gressley, Charlotte Offerholm, Adi Salant, Lior Lev, and Noah Zuck. She also danced for Zako Dance Theatre, was employed full-time at the Gerhard Hauptmann Theater in Görlitz, and was a guest at the Stadttheater Gießen, Stadttheater Bill Zolotorn, and at the Zurich Opera House. This choreographer, dance teacher, and mentor has been working internationally since 2000, and she has created and directed numerous short and full-length productions. From 2006 to 2017, Natalie directed her own dance company called the Nawe Company. By founding a junior company, she made it possible for young dancers to gain some initial experience and jumpstart their professional dance career. Natalie completed her master's degree in dance pedagogy at the Zurich University of the Arts. She later completed her master's degree in choreography at the Paluca Hochschule für Tanz in Dresden. Natalie then received a two-year full-time scholarship from the state of Saxony and completed her master's degree, yes, it's a master, not a master, and we will talk about it, focused on professional identity in dance. Natalie has trained numerous professional dancers at the University of Contemporary and Urban Dance and works regularly as a guest artist teaching master classes and professional dance classes at various educational institutions in Germany, Switzerland, Italy, and Poland. Natalie isn't only active as a performer, choreographer, and dance teacher, though. Throughout this interview, you'll hear us talking about her activism in the dance community and the strong connection she has with Dancers Connect, a movement striving for better work practices for dance artists. In fact, Natalie was instrumental in including both the contemporary and the commercial freelance dance scene in Germany in this movement, which allowed these dancers to fight for their rights alongside their colleagues who are employed full-time in German theaters. Currently, Natalie is the artistic director and head choreographer of the Landesbühnen Sachsen Dance Company. As you can imagine, we had so much to talk about. So pull up a chair, get comfy, and let's get started. I might cough a bit. Yeah, if it goes into the interview, I am recovering from COVID. Yeah, I actually managed to run away from it for 
I still am. Wow, that's so impressive. So I could say it also. Maybe Or you didn't know. I had it exactly and I didn't know. That's also possible, but I never had symptoms. Mm. It's uh wow, it was uh, it was quite intense. Wow. I I did not expect it to be like this, but wow. Yeah. Okay. It, it landed nicely. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm I'm feeling good now. I feel like I don't have too many side effects, which is good, but I do cough sometimes. So also if my voice sound a bit nasally for our listeners then this is you why. sound very sexy <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> that's a different podcast <laughs> okay 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 Never mind. not yet so if um if we try to begin i think that you are going to do a much better job than i can with introducing yourself because your CV is just so full of incredible things and I think if you could just give us a short introduction about yourself and walk us through maybe let's say just the highlights of your professional career up until now that would be incredible oh shit okay <laughs> i can try um starting with uh, saying my name right yeah that would be great okay So I'm Natalie Wagner. I'm actually from Switzerland, but living in Germany for the past six years. I've been mainly a freelance dance artist for the past 20 years, or actually a bit more, but also every now and then working in a theater, either as a dancer or as a choreographer. And soon I'm going to take over the, uh, the artistic directorship of the dance company at Landesmann in Sachsen which I'm very excited about <laughs> um, and because I feel like everything I've done so far in my career, that really serves me now for this job. And um, yeah, I had my own company for 10 years uh, in Switzerland. So there I was self-producing, uh, which was very exhausting. And yeah, I think That was maybe a highlight <laughs> in my career when you, <laughs> when you ask me, but um, there were many different highlights. It's, I don't know. I feel like I made a career as a choreographer simultaneously as a dancer. So I was always choreographing as I was working for somebody else as well. And I was also teaching very intensively and not because I had to, because I really loved to teach. So the combination of the three um, directions, let's say, was really fulfilling to me. And when one thing was missing or I didn't do, then I was missing it. <laughs> so maybe something like this. <laughs> no, this is great. This is great. I So actually, let's talk a bit about your upcoming season with Landesbund and Sachsen, which is mm -hmm. super exciting. And mm -hmm. I want to congratulate you. It's Thank you. incredible. <laughs> and actually, just to tell our listeners, we met in the sunny backyard of the theater and spoke a bit. We had a bit of a pre-call because I really wanted, I had so many questions and I wanted to kind of <laughs> set the ground before we start here. And You actually spoke about how you are already taking some steps towards change at the theater and that you wish that other artistic directors would join you in this. And I was wondering if you could share with us a bit about how you perceive the position of an artistic director, maybe specifically in a theater, and what are some of the initiatives you would want to take now that you are on that side of the equation? 
Well, to really uh, talk about how it is to be in the position, you have to ask me again in like six months or so. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what I did so far, um, what I could change already and was always on the top of my list when I was saying to myself, once I ever get to do that job, I will <laughs> take care of that, is the, the audition process, for example, which I... Of course, it was also a special time because it was still COVID uh, and um, there was not really the possibility to invite so many people. Mm -hmm. So I did a pre-selection, which I attend to do also in the future, to have first interviews after people send me their CVs and their videos. Um, because like that, I can decide better whether it is interesting to me to invite the dance artist to the present audition and it saves a lot of time and money for uh, both of us actually if there is a pre-selection before actually traveling there because that's always so much hassle for every dancer to organize the travel it's yeah it's just a lot of expenses that I think many theaters don't think about so with that I want to first understand okay are we connecting on a human level because the fact that I'm inviting you for an interview, you already made the first round. The way you presented yourself, I could already tell that you are a good dancer based on your video. So then it's less of a question how good you are, but are we a good match? So this is for me a primary thing that I always never understood why it's, it's not done like that. So now I'm doing it. And then, yeah, of course, we had a great... Mm, audition day which for me was more like a workshop where everybody could be themselves and not just try to show your skills because for me the skills are the in the interaction between the people but that's yeah that's just me personally uh, other directors go for the the skills that doesn't matter of the interaction of the others right <laughs> so this mm -hmm. is very personal um yeah, and then after the audition, I had another interview round for the ones that are in the closer uh, selection. And to also ask the dancers, can you imagine to work with me? You know, like. Which is very special. Yeah, but I think it should be like this. It's not only me choosing you, but also you choosing me as a choreographer and also uh, the house, the experience, the house, uh, the audition was there. To also, can you imagine yourself to be there? And one dancer, I actually wanted to offer him a job and he turned it down because he, after being there, he could not see himself working there. And I was mm. like, fair enough, you know. Yeah. Of course, I was hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, because I, I didn't see many people that I wanted to offer the, the job and I thought it was hilarious that the one that I chose would not want it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that's life it's always like this anyways I found others that I wanted and like that I think uh I want to give dancers a bit back the power that they actually always had but never occurred to to use it also even the fact that I asked in the interview do you have questions for me some of them they really looked at me with huge eyes and huge <laughs> question mark on their <laughs> forehead like <laughs> not being prepared or even having the 
yeah, the possibility that they could ask something. And others were really well prepared. And they asked me stuff like, okay, how can I imagine a working day in the theater? When does it start? Mm-hmm. What, what are the schedule times? Do you have split days? Do you have full days? And so on, you know? I was yeah. like, yeah, that's exactly where to go. And I hope for all the dancers that had this experience with me that they will take it further for the next audition and to be brave enough to ask also the directors, even though the directors maybe don't give the possibility to ask questions, but still to raise questions so that directors also understand, hey, it's not only your choice, it's also the choice of a dancer to be working with you. It's an honor for you that the dance artists want to work with you. At least that's my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, this is incredible. And it actually takes me exactly to the next thing that I want to talk about, that As I said before, I had the privilege of watching the recording of a lecture you gave uh, to the dance students of the Paluca School. And I'm actually going to reference this video a lot because (laughs) it had so many topics worth mentioning. But one of the things that stood out from this video and also just from the conversation I had with you before, it was that you have this wish to create eye-to-eye relationships in the dance world. And I remember you telling me from the janitor to the director to the dance artist to the institutions, etc., every everyone that takes part of it, all should be equal to you. And I think that this reflects very well and very nicely in a story you told me about you as an eight-year-old. <laughs> I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Having to bow to your ballet teacher. So, first of all, would you share the story with our listeners and maybe speak a bit more about what is this kind of flatlined hierarchy in the dance world that you wish for? And I know that to say flatlined hierarchy is kind of contradicting itself, but I think Mm. you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, yeah, I was about eight or nine years old and uh, the whole school had to be in a room and where the director basically would step in and everybody took a bow and we were like more than 100 students everybody took a bow but she didn't so I saw (laughs) that so I was like wait a minute and I I stayed up you know I was like well if she's not taking a bow I'm not taking a bow (laughs) and then my friend next to me she she pulled me down she's like you have to take a bow and I was like why (laughs) you know I don't understand so I think it was already from a very small age, <laughs> uh, young age, that I never understood why does somebody has more value than I do or that we do that are apparently at the other side. I just never understood that. And it caused me a lot of trouble also throughout my career as a dancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, people... Uh, mistakenly think that I cannot deal with authorities but it's not true I cannot deal with unfairness and I cannot deal with just dissing others because they can Uh, with this I cannot deal but I can deal very greatly with authorities who are respectful and who treat everyone with the same value like they want to be treated themselves and I don't understand where's the problem so To be honest with you, I don't have a problem with hierarchy. I don't think that is the actual problem. The problem is people who take advantage of their position to make this uh, power abuse uh, happening, you know. And that's where the hierarchy kind of backfires on, on people in lower positions. But I don't think it's the actual hierarchy that is the problem. It's really the people who take advantage of it. Yeah, and I wonder... 
you talked a bit about how you asked your um, the dancers that came to audition, how you asked them to ask you questions or if they want to know anything. And some of the people were kind of <laughs> staring into the void and didn't know, oh my God, she was asking me a question. What am I supposed to say? And yeah. she's actually, does she really want to hear my opinion or is it a trick question? Like what exactly is going yeah. on here? Just because we're so not used to having this from exactly. our, our standpoint of dancers. For sure. And what I also noticed is that dancers have the tendency to behave and to say in order to please, to give a good picture of themselves. And then they kind of, they're not authentic, right? But usually on the opposite side, you can tell if somebody is authentic or not, or then they are really good actors or actresses. <laughs> That's also possible. Well, anyhow, then latest in the, in the present audition, you can tell if somebody is authentic or not. And for me, I just admire that. And even if you say that's not your cup of tea, I have more respect for you than somebody telling me, oh, you're so great. But then actually they don't know anything about me. <laughs> you know, yeah. th that was, for example, a question I asked them also. So do you know anything about my artistic work? Or like, or what... What is it that speaks to you about my artistic work? And I could tell who did their homework and who didn't. Mm. And this, I think, is also a job of a, of a dancer. I mean, this you can ask everybody else who has any kind of job before you apply somewhere. I, I guarantee you, everybody gets first information about the company. Like, what are they standing for? What is the actual work? What am I going to be doing there? And what kind of impact does this has to me and to others and why are dancers not allowed to do that i mean i mean they don't allow themselves right they just want to be i just want to have a job i don't care for whom and i don't care where and i think this has to change within the dance scene for sure and it has to start with the dance artists themselves i also find it really interesting now that you're saying this it throws me into a few years back, I did an audition to a big theater. I'm not going to name it. <laughs> and um, it's just interesting to hear that you actually mean what you say, that you actually want to hear what the other, what the dancers have to say. And to, do you want them to be interested and to know your work? And I got into this final stage of this theater and they asked us when we come back to do a day with the company to prepare some sort of an essay writing why we want to get into this company what is special about it what we can offer kind of our agenda when it comes to the company and I took it so seriously I was so excited to finally be able to share what I <laughs> feel and what I thought and well I am like a totally over the top kind of person and when you give me a job I like really go all in <laughs> and I I think it was a couple of pages that I wrote and wow <laughs> I took it in like a plastic bag like super neat and everything was like I printed it nicely and I was so excited and then we got to the interviews and I had my papers in my bag and I remember them not asking for it And oh. I also talked about it with the other dancers that came and they said, you actually did it. I cannot believe you did it. And they didn't do it. 
So oh I was gosh. the only one that did it. And <laughs> I was so excited to share it. So I actually told them that I brought the papers because I worked on it for so long and right. I wanted to share it. And they were so shocked that I did it. They took uh-huh. it. I don't think they've ever read it, to ah. be honest. I didn't get a job. Oh, my God. <laughs> this other dancer, actually, that didn't even think about doing it, she got the job immediately, like, wow. on the spot of the interview. And, you know, so not to criticize anyone, I'm just saying that mm. it's really interesting because there is this kind of chicken and egg thing, right? So yeah. we never are being asked to voice our opinion. Mm-hmm. So we don't even think that it's worth mentioning or worth kind of figuring out, do I like it? Do I not like it? What do I think? Because we don't think it's even relevant. Like, yeah. we don't really think that we will get the chance to voice it and actually be heard, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's really hypocrite. (laughs) (laughs) And you didn't ask them why they were asking for it and then at the end didn't want to know it? I I would say that I have learned a lot during the years when it comes to speaking out. Like when I hear about your story as an eight-year-old not bowing, (laughs) I feel like, oh my God, when I was this age, I was constantly frightened I would do anything I'm asked for because I was a pleaser I was a perfectionist and I had a very big problem with conflicts so all of this together kind of built this very well I don't know what word to use here but I was a yes person you know Mm -hmm. I, I was always about what they want from me and how I can mm-hmm. do everything I can mm-hmm. to be good. That yeah, was what really I, me. Yeah, what I described before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it took me a very long time to kind of break free out of this. And I am still learning, I have to say. And I think this is also something that I admire about you so much because I feel like this is not a natural thing in me. My natural mm-hmm. Instincts are to protect and Mm. to be good and to just make sure that everything is like in place. But I think with the years that passed and the more experience I have and I felt like, okay, I understand more what I want and what I need. And now I am definitely in a different place. But back then, I think I was just very surprised and I was just proud of myself that I even gave them the papers and yeah. not kept them for myself yeah. and just like said, okay, never mind. Well, I won't give it to you. But yeah, it, it was an eye-opening experience, definitely. Because what you're describing, how you're describing yourself, this is also a quality that should not be um, devalued, you know. But I think it's about finding the balance of when do you have to give yourself all into it, when to be a per- perfectionist and when to make sure that the group feels good or, you know, like all this almost obeying kind of attitude. I think in the right moment, this is also a good quality. But when it comes to stepping forward in making decisions for your life, that's when you have to be more protective about yourself and not about the others. And I think this is something that is not really taught in any dance school or any school. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. No, this is definitely not yeah. taught. And, you know, you actually spoke about the fact that this part of you actually got you into some trouble mm-hmm. in the past. <laughs> oh, yeah, a lot. Yeah. And I, I wonder, 
What are some of the biggest lessons you have learned when it comes to speaking up to authority? Hmm. Biggest lesson? Well, I mean, I, I experienced, of course, very often uh, threatened to be, how do you say? Um, fired. Fired, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to be fired, where they really made me feel their power, you know. And for me, I think I started to learn when to say what and that I would not uh, back then uh, I would not speak up for others anymore unless they are really backing me up because that happens so often that I would speak up for the whole group where in the changing room everybody was complaining and mm. then and then speaking up in front of the authorities everybody was like no no we never said that and that oh, you yeah. know so I was <laughs> like you mm, you know <laughs> uh, like um and then i realized okay it's not worth to put myself in jeopardy for others if they actually are not brave enough to do the same thing for me or for the group you know so i i was very disappointed for a very long time about the dance scene the dancers themselves and honestly it was a bit dancers connect um that saved me from that impression that everybody is not like has no cojones you know like <laughs> uh, like what is this and I was so happy when I met these uh yeah dancers who who already yeah made maybe some of them the same experience like me and who still didn't give up you know and so I understood to find uh people who are my like-minded and that gave me also a bit more uh, energy and uh, power to to do the right things that at the end everybody profits from it's not about me it's about us as as artists you know as dancers um yeah to look out for each other and i don't know maybe that's my pedagogical <laughs> element inside of me or i don't know what it is but yeah if you raise something for yourself and it doesn't fit benefit the others, then for me, it's a bit pointless. I mean, to be honest, it's pretty clear that you have the soul of an activist from everything <laughs> that you're saying. Oh. And I'm happy that you mentioned Dancers Connect because I think, to be honest, that not all of our listeners would know what it is. So mm. before I ask you a bit about it, can you maybe briefly just tell us what Dancers Connect is? Mm-hmm. Well, originally it uh, started, uh, it's like a movement who started from dancers who work in the, the theater. So company dancers who just started basically to be aware of, hey, there is so much injustice, we need to do something about it. And they started to uh, make congresses where dancers uh, from all over Germany in theaters would gather and talk about the issues that don't work for uh, the employee. And at some point, they started up also for the free scene. And um, yeah, in the free scene, there is also like not only the contemporary dance, but also commercial dance scene. And we all suffer from, uh, yeah, we have the same problems, actually, uh, just uh, in different formats, maybe. And I think to tear down the boundaries and the walls and the stigma that we have from each other, um, you know, there's so much prejudice about uh, ballet dancers think higher of themselves than about, you know, the, the freelance scene, the contemporary mm -hmm. scene, uh, and vice versa. And I think um, 
we can tear this down when we understood that we only can make a change if we stick together and fight for the same things, you know. And of course, it is there is a difference between the freelance scene and the theater scene. But at the end of the day, it's still being brave and standing up for your value. At the end of the day, it's the same thing, you know. Just in the theater, you have more uh, structural yeah, structures. You also have structures, of course, in the freelance scene, but you are more as an individual. Like if you don't fight for your own rights, then uh, nobody's taking care of you. In compared to the theater, there's the work council where you at least can talk to or you should be able to talk to. Um, and somebody's taking care of your rights, actually. And in the freelance scene, you are on your own. But this is, yeah, changing with Dancers Connect. And I really, I'm really happy that these brave people started this and that I could join that movement. Uh, because it's it's like a philosophy of life that you are standing up for certain values. And yeah, you cannot do it alone. This is an illusion. Yeah. And actually, I think it's worth mentioning that you you didn't just join Dancers Connect, but you actually did some reformations when it comes to bringing freelancers and also dancers from the commercial scene. Mm. And I think that's worth mentioning also just to learn a bit more about your career and how you kind of touched each one of these aspects of being a dancer. It's really interesting, I think, to hear. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean, when I heard about Dancers Connect, I was still working in the theater. So that's the only way how I actually heard about them. And I then approached them and said, hey, what about the free scene? And then for a really long time, I didn't hear anything back. And at some point, they were looking for somebody. And then uh, I was like, okay, I'm here. I'm ready, you know. And then again, I brought it up like, hey, you need to open up for, for the free scene as well. And uh, at that time, there was already Annika Bendel. She was one of the only one at the beginning, a freelance dancer. And then by that time, there were already some others. But there were dancers who were just leaving the theater. So they were still theater dancers, but uh, going into freelancing. And they were a bit lost, like where to go, mm, what to do. Yeah. And yeah, we, me, with my 20 years of experience, um, of course, I, I was happy to share my knowledge and also to to give them the perspective of, okay, wh what do you mean with freelance? Because the, the freelance scene is much bigger than what you think or than what you know. And the commercial scene, because I've been working as a dancer and as a choreographer in different uh, dance scenes, and they do not cross, they don't overlap. It's very rare to have dancers who do everything. And many of them, including myself, I felt very lost very often, like, where do I actually fit, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. because it's a different mentality. It's, you have to present yourself different. There are many, many different uh, things about each other, which it made my job in Dancers Connect really hard to include those dancers. At the beginning, they were really like uh, empowered, like, oh yeah, finally we have to do something. But then it's very hard to maintain a certain... Um, Hmm. how do you say, like, they don't stick with you when it needs a longer breath, you know, mm, and yeah. to make a change, a major change that is so deeply rooted in our mentalities, in our culture, it takes a long time and very often, stamina. <laughs> yeah, you need stamina, literally, and, 
And I feel like um, very often, and yeah, I, I'm sorry if I've offended anyone now, but very often in the commercial scene, it's they are quick thinkers of just today. What is cool today? What can be done today? And they don't think in the long term. And I think it has to do also with the with the history of uh, how these dance scenes were developed. And in a contemporary scene, uh, it's still young, but it's long enough to also show some stamina to mm. get a voice, to do a change, to create a further system, you know, like a supporting system for the freelance scene to give the freelance scene kind of a voice and um, freelance scene in a contemporary field. Uh, this is really important to mention because there is a freelance scene in a whole other uh, field, yeah. but that doesn't have that history of standing up and uh, fighting for their rights. So this is something that people need to understand. And I'm not saying that every commercial dancer is like that because, of course, there there's always from everybody in every <laughs> every yes, scene, you know, course. every side. But uh, it's it's just very. It was hard for me to keep those people interested without uh, give, uh, serving them the solution. I said, there is no solution right now. There's not a pill you can eat. And now uh, we <laughs> feel much better. We earn all better money and all the conditions are, yes. you know, incredible. No, it, like it takes a lot of activism and also discipline for yourself to turn down an offer if it is not good paid. And this starts with you. And, you know, so <laughs> you cannot blame everybody else, but then you do it yourself and uh, just complain about it. No, <laughs> that doesn't work. The change doesn't work like this. So, yeah, it takes a lot of courage and stamina and not many people have it, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, there is also this aspect, I guess, of survival in what we do. And I mm. think sometimes it's easy to kind of have this tunnel vision of just you surviving, getting some work, getting your money and like not really looking outside of this box because there is just like this huge instinct of just how do I protect myself? How do I build my career? Mm -hmm. A lot about me, 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 me. How can I do? How can I be mm -hmm. better? How can I get the next job? And like to actually expand yourself outside of it sometimes can feel, I think, really scary and almost like, when do I have time to do all of this? And mm. and also just to say that um, I think that, I don't know how to put this, but I think that many of us have this fear of not getting the next job or being mm -hmm. too loud. And again, this thing of protecting ourselves and having this just survival instinct of let's just keep everything calm and mm. not get into conflicts too much. I mm. think this is something that I see a lot around me. And I was also a part until I started also speaking up myself and saw that actually, well, the ground is stable. <laughs> mm -hmm. You can do that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh, there are many things in my mind now <laughs> to, to say. It, you know, and the fear is there because it is reality that people do get threatened and they don't get booked anymore or whatever, you know, it is reality, but, uh, yeah. So how to make a change, you know, and I think people also need to distinguish between when to speak up about what is it just because you don't like the artistic, uh, language 
then I'm sorry, but I don't think then there is such a big drama, you know, then it's, it comes down to taste, yeah. uh, which at the end of the day, art is always about taste. But what we can argue about is the conditions and how you're treated, because this should be always the same. <laughs> and, and then I think you should be able to speak up. You know, and what I also wanted to say before is it's not always only about the money. You know, sometimes you go into a project that is maybe not paid, but it's, it's artistically super interesting. Then you just need to know what you're getting out of this job. I think this is also one thing that people need to understand. It's not only now about, hey, don't do anything for free, because very often there's just no possibility. And sometimes you just collaborate with your friends and you have a together an idea and you want to do mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. and so you don't want to be creative anymore just because there's no money I, I i don't think that's realistic either you know but you need to know what you are getting out of it and whether it is uh, an educational part or uh, an inspiration or uh, yeah artistic exchange so this is all as value as money right and if you're getting paid and it is in, uh, artistic, super interesting, then you're super uh, <laughs> uh, lucky, you know, that yeah, uh, yeah, this yeah. goes together. Very often, I mean, I speak for myself, very often it was not always like this, that uh, when it was paid, that it was artistically interesting. It was just for me to pay the rent very often, you know, it, it's a bit sad, but uh, that's also reality. And yeah, you have to be, you have to be okay with it. I would still prefer to do that than sitting eight hours in some shop and uh, being a saleswoman that I actually, I'm not trained for, you know? Mm -hmm. So then it was easier for me to do a commercial job that would take a five minute show, but I would just get paid a thousand euros. I mean, pfft. And just two days uh, a rehearsal, I'm like, come on, of course I do it. And even if I, I, I just did step touch, but I, <laughs> I looked, I looked at it uh, as a time value. Then, wow, you know, it's not harming me. And and of course, I also had to argue about this with other dance uh, artists who would say that I'm something like a uh, like a prostitute, you know, like uh, oh you're doing God. this just for the money. Yeah, hell yeah, I'm just doing it for the money because I don't define myself as an artist. But uh, doing a step touch, uh, we all know we we can do more. But hey, if that's what the client wants, and it's only eating up two days or three days of my life, but I'm get getting a thousand euros that pays my rent for three months. Mm. Hello. <laughs> you know, I was like, be smart about it, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because sometimes there is this this big separation. Okay, it's okay for me to be a freelance dance artist and to work every day in a cafe and kill myself there because mm. that has nothing to do with dance. So th this yeah. is not me as an artist. This is me just doing it for the money. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to dance, then it becomes a bit more emotionally charged, I think, yeah. for many people. And yeah. I, I love it that you took it to this direction because, again, I'm going to reference your lecture. Um, you showed there two photos and I found it <laughs> super cool. I really want to share it. I wish that I could show the photos here, but we are an audio-only podcast, so I'm going to describe it. The first photo was of a dancer jumping in this high and magnificent split and... 
from what I understand, it was meant to represent us using our full potential. Yes. And the other photo showed a woman <laughs> wearing a Christmas tree costume. Mm. I loved it. It was hilarious. It was so accurate. And that was supposed, from my understanding, to represent what the reality of our jobs can sometimes look or feel like. Mm. And I think we all know it and maybe had to do it, especially mm -hmm. if we were a part of a theater, for example. Yeah. And then you said that some dancers can do that maybe less desirable job, as you described, and still be happy. Mm -hmm. And some do that desirable, amazingly perceived job, but still are unhappy and mm. frustrated. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think we all know a dancer, or maybe it's even us, that is dancing for a company or theater in a job that maybe a thousand other dancers would only Die wish for. for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And still is frustrated and unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. And what I found super interesting that you said was that Many times when dancers are frustrated, it actually has nothing to do with the job. Mm -hmm. And my question is, following your research and personal experience, what is it then that determines whether we manage to find fulfillment and joy in what we do? Especially maybe let's connect it to what you just talked about when it comes to our expectations and motivation. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what it is. So what is your expectation in the first place and then usually when your expectation doesn't get fulfilled then uh, frustration kicks in mm -hmm. and that's that that's not only for dance artists that's for everybody everybody on this planet it, it's the same thing and uh, you create a blueprint that if you are not in it Uh, for example, you wanted to be a principal dancer in that so-and-so company, but you are just part of the corps du ballet. So, of course, you're frustrated because maybe you are in this company from the outside. You know, people are like, wow, you made it, you're in the company. But if in the inside, it's, yeah, but I'm not doing the position or the, I'm not getting the roles that I actually trained my whole life for. Yeah. So there's this um, disappointment, of course. And then at the other hand, you know, Uh, somebody else is just appreciating that um, th the expectation was just to get in. It doesn't matter what kind of role I'm going to do. Then, of course, this person is more happy than the other one who's who's disappointed. And, yeah, there you have to decide for yourself, okay, what is the next step for either reach my goal? Maybe it means to change the, the company or to speak to the directors or I don't know what you what, what your possibilities are, but this is then your job to find out what are your realistic possibilities to achieve your goals or you have the choice to change your goals, you know, to change what you are expecting or maybe realizing what is the reality here and maybe I'm just one meter tall, so maybe I'm not gonna get uh, to do the role of the tallest <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, sometimes it's very simple, but unfortunately, uh, people choose to sit in their frustration and then they find everything is a drama, everything is a problem. And in fact, they are creating the problem. And uh, it's always up to you how you deal with it. Yeah, it's, I think it also connects very well to what you talked about when you actually asked the dancers that came to audition for you. If, if they can actually imagine themselves in the company, which is in other words, what are your expectations from this mm. job? And mm -hmm. can you find 
that they're going to meet or not. I, I think we are not so trained in doing that. I think we are all, or maybe I will just speak from my own experience growing up in this very conservative dance education school system. They, okay, let's not say they, because <laughs> it's our responsibility. It's all in mm -hmm. our own hands. We developed this blueprint, which I, I also love that you used exactly these words because this is something that I use a lot, that we really developed this blueprint for happiness or success that when we don't meet it, there can be so much frustration, feel of like we lost something and it's very hard to recover from it. And I think many times you see dancers that they get to this breaking point when they see, for example, that they didn't get the job in their dream company and you can see this huge collapse of much more than just not getting into this specific company because it means so much more for them. Mm -hmm. It means that they are a failure in mm -hmm. general. And this is something that is very hard to let go of. And I guess when it comes to expectations, so would you say that this is maybe a process that you do before you say yes to a job, before you jump into a job? Is this something that you used to do to go through this process of asking yourself just these questions of what do I expect from this job? Maybe what do they expect from me? And is it going to meet? Hmm. I mean, of course, it took me also a very long time to understand um, this mechanics, right? Um, I was always intuitively going for where my heart was uh, pounding. So, I don't know, since I understood it better that I have the power to actually choose where to go. For example, like one example is that I walked away from an audition after I've seen who they invited. And oh, wow, really? Yes, because I'm like, wow, I do not see myself dancing next to these little girls. They, <laughs> you know, I was already 35 mm -hmm. and they were like all 18 year old, just graduated. And also it was written to be a contemporary uh, dance audition. But then I sneaked in because the first group was already dancing and they had to do full on ballet repertoire. Oh, yeah. And even though that's my education, but it's not what I want to do now. So I walked away. I, I went back to the changing room. I changed and I wished the girls good luck. And they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was so weird that I walked out, but I felt also empowered. But in the same time, I was like, Natalie, are you crazy? I, I mean, you're already here. Just do it, you know. But in the same time, no, it, I don't see myself doing it. So I don't want to do it. <laughs> and But it took guts. It took really courage to do it. But since then, since the first experience, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm only going to do it now uh, like this. And so prepare yourself for, can you really see yourself to, to work there, to, to connect with those people? And then you apply. It's not a guarantee that you get the job, obviously. Yeah. But at least from your side, you know why you're there. And then you can be more authentic. And, and if it doesn't work, then it was not a match, you know. And it's better to take no's or to get rejections because we all get it anyways. You know, people <laughs> see me from the outside. They're like, oh, you did so much. Uh, yeah, like you have good saying because everything worked for you. And I'm like, oh, my God, you have no 
idea <laughs> how many no's I got, how many rejections I got, how many auditions I did and I, I didn't uh, pass, you know. So, And that's the part that people don't see and they, they choose to see only what is visible. But uh, yeah, 80% of my time was uh, dealing with rejections. I, I'm serious. So anyways, if, if you know for yourself yeah what you want to go for then i think the target will also be smaller in a way but -hmm. then you can put more focus on it instead of throwing around yourself (laughs) which is also fine because that's part of your journey part of your experience and i think you should try as much as you can obviously you know but when you get older i think i think i speak now for many other older dance artists that you start to target more um, where is worth it to put your energy into it and your time and your work and where it's just pointless because actually you, you don't see yourself there. So uh, this is all a journey. Uh, I'm not sure if I answered your question. Now. <laughs> I think this is, this is just perfect. You can just, just continue to talk, you know, I will just like, I'm here nodding. I'm just like, yes, hell yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. And I think you can see this decision, that you are consistently taking also when and well I'm speaking in your name so feel free to correct me but when you decided to go for the theater job in Görlitz that was a few years ago Mm -hmm. you did one season there it was also I mean at this time you actually had this experience being a dancer a choreographer and all of these things and still you chose to go for this job Alongside dancers that I would say, yes, maybe age-wise they were younger, but also very much experience-wise younger than you, and still you decided to go for it. So would you speak a bit to that? What made Uh you decide to go for it? Mm -hmm. I have to say, so I was 38, uh, 37, 38, something like that, and I was really fit. Wow. I was really fit. (laughs) I saw you. And... uh, (laughs) And I don't know, I feel like um, this experience gave me a kind of a calmness that I could focus on the actual work instead of dealing with bullshit, Uh, which I feel like when you're younger, you deal so much about exactly pleasing others. Oh, how can I deal with this? Oh, I need to think about the steps. Oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, like all these things, which for me, it was... I I was getting into a stage of my life where I wanted to be a bit more calm and I wanted to be uh, taken care of and I wanted to have a monthly financial injection. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So it was the first time that I felt like this because I was literally for many years refusing to audition for theaters because I loved to be a freelancer. And for me, it was, it was nice to have to keep running around and uh, hopping from one project or job to the other. It was never easy, of course. And I was, I had a lot of doubts as well, uh, especially when I, for example, didn't have a job for a whole year and I was uh, in brickets only teaching. Right. Um, so I had also uh, phases like that. And I think the time when I was like, now I'm ready for a dance company in a theater, I was a bit tired of freelancing and running around from one place to the other. Exactly all the points that I loved before, hmm. it, it turned uh, 
180 degrees and I was feeling like I want to work with the same people for the same people for a longer time of period and yeah this kind of financial security that just started to be more important for my life and I was also not sure if am I getting now superficial because I care more about money you know mm-hmm. uh, I was dealing with that too and as the, the more I spoke to other people who were my age they looked at me like are you crazy that's super normal <laughs> <laughs> to care about I just never did it you know I just never cared that I was living out of my suitcase <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah totally. and not owning anything and now yeah it's uh, this major shift happened and yeah, I was very grateful that this opportunity was given to me uh, by the age of 38. And it only became after a while that I started to realize, oof, my colleagues are really young and uh, we don't have really the same topics to talk about, you know. So mm-hmm. at some point I felt like, actually, I would love to continue to to dance in a company, but with yeah more mind like people like um, who have yeah same issues or same philosophical thinking you know instead of just doesn't matter what we do here artistically as long as I'm on stage and for me I'm like no I want to know why I'm doing what I'm doing you know like I needed more depth and in compared to some colleagues they just didn't need that. And I understood because they're younger, they just are here to make their first experience as, as dance artists. But for me, I'm like, mm, I need more. I need more depth. And I'm not saying this cannot be in a dance company, but for me at that time, I needed more. So that was for me then the reason why to step out of it again. Yeah. And I find it really in- an interesting distinction that in the beginning, your expectations met the reality there, right? Mm-hmm. And your expectations were to have somewhere that is going to be like a stable structure where you get, you know mm-hmm. what you do every day for a whole year and you know who yep. you're going to work with and you get your, I love this, <laughs> financial injection into yeah. your veins. I love this. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting to see that once we get to a point where our expectations no longer meet the reality of the job, mm-hmm. then I guess there are two options, right? It's like either we choose to say, okay, thank you. This is no longer what I'm looking for and yeah. move on. Mm-hmm. Or we can see many times, and it takes me back to a sentence I remember you said in your lecture, you said, are you an artist or are you a victim? Mm-hmm. And I think it connects to this point where when you said "Oh, uh, that you felt – all these emotions about money and how, oh, maybe I'm being superficial or whatever. But if at that point you would choose to stay because of the money and all the things and your expectations, but at the same time something would feel bad, I would guess that either you need to completely let go of it and say, okay, I changed my goals, I changed my expectations, I adjust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or what we see many times is that dancers actually choose to stay even Mm -hmm. though they know inside that it's time to move on because it's mm-hmm. not right anymore. And this is when this frustration is starting to bubble up and absolutely. <laughs> simmer. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and in that in that sense, I was never like this. You know, the moment I felt a change inside of me, 
I have to do it. <laughs> I, I cannot sit still. And I never understood the people who are just complaining. And I had so many therapeutic uh, talks with them to give them courage to do it uh, until I understood they actually don't want to change anything. They prefer to, to just complain. And then I had to let go of trying to help them because they don't want to be helped. And mm -hmm. I had to accept that, you know, to, but I also then told them, don't come to me and uh, complain anymore. Like, leave me alone. <laughs> I mean, it does <laughs> you know? affect the group in the end, right? Yes, absolutely. And there's a lot of frustration that dancers have and, and prefer to sit in their frustration instead of yeah, being brave and change something. Uh, be because we don't know what's coming next, right? It's this, um, you kind of step forward blindly. But I think, and that's the power of, I think, experienced dance artists, how you go into an artistic process. It's exactly how you should approach your life. You know, mm. like you also don't know how the outcome is, but you do it anyhow. And you try to, you figure out your steps on the way. And you don't see like uh, too much ahead, but you do, you, you are here now today. Today we have rehearsal. Today we work on that scene. And then by the end of the day, I guarantee you there will be something. <laughs> and this for me is a bit how I approach my life. You know, that sometimes, yeah, you're stepping out, you're blind or you feel like you're blind, but you have a, a stomach uh, feeling, you have a gut feeling that still tells you to go in a certain direction, even though you can't even verbalize maybe the direction yeah. and which very often people also have a hard time to deal with when they ask you, so what's your next step? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? No, I, I love this question. <laughs> you know, and exactly. <laughs> and they, they have a hard time to deal with the unknown, yeah. which of course you also have a hard time to deal with the unknown, but then this is the difference then to certain people who just go for it anyhow, or, you don't know, but then you sit in what you know, and it is the complaining box, you know? Yeah. And for me, I feel like life is too short, you know, to sit in a complaining box. <laughs> I love it. Mic drop. I mean, don't, don't, <laughs> please don't drop your mic. I have to do another test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, okay. yeah, but totally, totally. I, I love this so much. And I'm actually, um, I actually have to tell a story. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's it's your interview, but I have to um, I have to tell a story because I feel like it's so worth mentioning. And I told you this already, but I really want to share it with our listeners. And I'm sorry if it's going to make you feel uncomfortable. It probably will, but you're just going to have to sit with it. So <laughs> I want to share about the first time that we met. And that was in Görlitz when I came to visit the company for a week. And First of all, the fact that you offered to give me a little tour around the city <laughs> and to take me for a coffee at the expense of your free time when you didn't even know me at all, it was just mind-blowing to me. Like, <laughs> just that. Let's just start with that. And that was already something that really stayed with me after. But what I want to talk about is actually the content of our conversation, <laughs> um, because during that conversation, you told me something that I really carried with me throughout my professional career, and I still do up until today. 
And I really want to share it with our listeners. So when we sat down to talk, you told me about a creative process that you were having. I don't know if you remember. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say too much about it. Mm-hmm. And there were a few choreographers creating for the company at the time. And the dancers favored some over the others. And of course, that the level of enthusiasm and commitment of the dancers, at least maybe, let's say, partially affected how the pieces turned out to be in the end. Mm-hmm. And you said, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, that as professionals, when we face different choreographers in the studio, it is our responsibility to deliver and show as much commitment, no matter who stands in front of us. And we can select what is or isn't, quote unquote, worth putting our efforts into based on whether the choreographer is renowned or not, or in our opinion, talented enough or not, which happens many times. And you said that if we decide to be there, it means that we agree to give them our all. And not only when it feels like it's worth it, but consistently. And that's what being a professional dancer means. And that was one of the most meaningful pieces of mm. advice I have ever received. And I want to take this opportunity, first of all, mm. to thank you for that, because it really Aww. stayed with me for a long time after in whichever creation process I was doing. And mm. I also feel like it's worthwhile to share it with our listeners. So yeah, it, this is not a question, as you can see. <laughs> but so I, I just really... I found it so meaningful and beautiful because it showed me that alongside knowing our value, which is something that we're also talking a lot about here in this conversation, it is fundamental to keep our humility and openness to learn no matter how much experience we have or maybe think we have more than uh-huh. have. Uh-huh. And it is something I believe we forget sometimes. So I feel like you're in general just a great example for constantly learning and shifting and evolving. And yeah, I just, I had to share this story because Mm. I found it beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Wow. I mean, this is, that's the beautiful thing that when two human beings meet and then have a a nice, I don't know, talk, discussion in in the sun with a coffee Yes, and one leaves such an imprint without even knowing. (laughs) So (laughs) so, uh, thank you for, yeah. No, thank yeah, you for saying it again and I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, you and actually you know you're so right like we sometimes we don't even realize how much what we say can touch someone else and I think this is why also I feel so excited about doing this podcast and what it means to me also in my personal life that it brings I feel like since I've started it when I talk with other dance artists maybe because they know that I'm actually interested in those things because I do it and I share it I feel like all of a sudden people share with me so many things that they uh-huh. feel and think and their philosophy about stuff and the conversation becomes so deep. And I feel like we really shouldn't miss on these opportunities, you know, just because maybe we're caught up in work or we think like maybe it's not worth it to say or whatever, but it's like we never know which word is going to really make a difference Absolutely. with the people that we're chatting with. Absolutely. You leave an impact if, if you want it or not. <laughs> yeah, totally. most, of, most of the time in moments where you are not aware of. Yeah. 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 So really thank you for that. Mm, thank you. And, and that, that concludes the 
uh, me time. And now let's go back to okay. me asking questions <laughs> and not chatting so much. Um, so I want to go to um, something a bit different, which, well, maybe not different, but as a continuation of what we talked, you said that you loved being a freelance artist, which mm -hmm. I am so happy that is coming up here because... <laughs> And actually, you mentioned it in your lecture. You shared another anonymous quote by a dancer discussing education institutions and how well they prepare us for our professional careers. And I actually want to quote it, if it's okay. It is uh -huh. anonymous, so we don't know who, who, who said that. But the quote goes as following. There is almost no preparation for being a freelancer. It's still really theater-oriented, and most of the time, being a freelancer is seen as plan B because you didn't get a job in the theater. And you really talked in your lecture about how many times becoming a freelancer can be perceived as a taboo or even a failure, like, oh, I became a freelancer because I failed to get a contract in a theater or something like this. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how actually when you're a freelancer, you have to be at the top of your game because mm. of the constant effort to get the next job, which makes so much sense. And you use these really empowering adjectives like um, being an entrepreneur, being a hybrid professional, a business mm. owner, where mm. the business is us. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, would you speak a bit about your experience as a freelance dance artist and the skill set that was necessary for you in order to navigate through it? Whew, that's a huge uh, <laughs> question. I know. Just pick on whatever feels right. Yeah. I mean, like I said before, I, I feel like I'm, I'm very a versatized dancer artists person <laughs> slash person <laughs> yeah because i i'm not happy with doing just one thing i'm ge i get bored very quickly so mm. i love to do many different things which of course you have to do as a freelancer <laughs> yes. there's there's no other choice um so you have to get different uh jobs who are paid but then of course you have also the freedom in doing artistic projects who are maybe not paid, but then it's your choice to do it because you simply want to do it. Otherwise you feel like you're going to die. And uh, for me, everything I did, I felt like if I don't do it, I'm going to die. <laughs> That's how dramatic I was. I, I, I guess familiar. I still am. Yeah. It's familiar. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and also I have to say, I also love to manage. I love to organize. I love to, yeah, initiate things. And, and so that's why I think to navigate through all these different jobs, it was not such a big deal for me in compared to others who hate to manage to, mm. who hate who yeah. hate who are not organized you know who are not precise in in their communication or i don't know what you clearly need if you are dealing with administrative uh, work yeah in the same time it was 
it was very painful to be like this because like I said before, I felt very lost. Like, where do I belong? You know, I am brought up in a way you have to focus on one thing and do it for real. And uh, if you do too many things, you're, it means you are not doing anything really. Mm. You're, you're doing everything like halfway. And I have to say, it's not true. There are different types as personalities. Yeah. And I think I get more energy if I do several things instead of just focusing on one thing I I kind of die like like a flower that doesn't get water you know so once I understood that I functioned this way I started to be more brave about no that's what I want to do and I, I actually I started a strategy to not tell anyone anymore what I'm doing besides so for example, like I said, being in a commercial world, it can be, it can sound very uh, creepy when you say you're actually a contemporary dancer. Then they look at you like, and mm. what are you doing here? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're doing this experimental crappy shit <laughs> called art, you know, and, and vice versa. I stopped saying when I have a, when I had a commercial job and I was in an artistic uh, project that was uh, contemporary based, I would not say that I had now a, a job for Nike or whatever yeah. that just paid my uh, yeah rent for uh, three times or six times. Uh, I would just not say that, you know, uh, because I felt like people who judge me in yeah. that sense just literally don't know the other side. Uh, so I started to be very clear in who I talked to uh, about what like uh, to share the, the my life in a way you know but that took me of course uh, many years to understand who I can talk to and be open about how I deal with my life and uh, yeah what I need to have in order to feel fulfilled you know it was literally about being fulfilled and I'm happy for you if you can do only one thing and you're happy with it, I, I admire you, actually, you know. <laughs> I envy you, in fact, you know, <laughs> because it felt very um, a punishment to be like this because I was too quickly being bored <laughs> with yeah. with all the things I'm doing. So I always needed to go for the next thing and, and chase and, oh, yeah. So it felt uh, exhausting, but it was what I literally needed to do to feel alive. Yeah. I think it's very meaningful to hear because what we talked about before when we speak about blueprints, and I mm. think many dancers, me included, that grew up, again, in this conservative dance education environment, there is this one blueprint of being a successful dancer means you need mm. to get a contract in a company. But not all of us actually want that uh, exactly. or belong there. But we mm. don't even stop to think about it mm. because this is not what we believe is worthwhile maybe. And, and I find it really interesting, this whole perception of uh, being a freelancer that's a plan b that's like oh you're a freelancer mm. because you didn't get a contract but actually to maybe take a breath for a second and look inside search inside yourself and ask yourself what do i actually want what actually suits my personality and i think that could be really eye-opening for many people that kind of automatically autopilot kind of pursue this very institutional dance path that could be wonderful 
but maybe not for them. So mm -hmm. I think that's really incredibly eye-opening and it's very important to hear this. Absolutely. And, you know, and I mean, not every dancer is, for example, a teacher, right? So I think right. you should you should stick to it and not do the dance jobs that don't suit you, you know? Then maybe I know some dancers who clearly choose to work in a cafe because they, they prefer to do that instead of teaching them. Like, I'm so happy that you are sticking to your uh, authentic self, you know, uh, because nobody wants to be in a class with a frustrated teacher. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. You're right. <laughs> so the, the idea of as a freelancer, you have to do everything. Of course, you have to do everything that you want right mm. and then finding the balance with the money because at some point i guess your parents don't pay you the rent anymore and you have to do it yourself so how can you do it in a most healthy way and if it means that you have to work 50% in a cafe or more then that's what it is that very often it's even uh, great because you can work with shifts And then you can uh, switch the shift, uh, yeah, like flexible. the working time, it's flexible uh, in case uh, a project comes up. So what is wrong with that? Nothing, you know, where also some, some dancers feel like a failure because they are not only uh, making money through dance. But hey, that's reality. That's uh, nobody, almost nobody can do it. You know, it's it's an illusion when when people say, "Ah, I'm jumping from one to the next." Yeah, yeah, but uh, doing <laughs> what exactly? You know, <laughs> um, and maybe it happens to some people. Then I'm very happy for them that they can do it. But they are you can count them on one hand. Let's yeah. let's be honest. You know. Yeah, it's true. It is an illusion that, and also I guess maybe it's worth asking also because you talked about this. Um, one time that you actually had a full year that you didn't work in in the dance mm -hmm. field i guess right if if i'm being mm -hmm. more accurate mm -hmm. and it it honestly whoever of us that has been a freelance dancer we can all really relate to what you say yeah me mm -hmm. included and i guess my question is for you looking back reflecting on this time how do you deal with these kind of fluctuations with mm. work as a freelancer Oof, I so when I was not working as a dancer I was then mainly teaching or choreographing and that gave me energy for a, quite a while but after a while I would start to doubt myself you know as a dancer am I not good yeah. enough as a dancer Uh, what is wrong with me and, you know, self-doubt, self-doubt, self-doubt. So I cannot even tell you that I could deal with it. I couldn't, you know, and uh, it was leading into frustration. And yeah, it was always bringing me to a point where I had to make drastic change. For example, leaving my teaching job and uh, go to another city, for example, or even to mm. another country yeah. to just... Uh, get other opportunities that I didn't get in the situation I was in. And now looking backwards, you know, people always said, you're so brave. And I, I never saw myself being brave. Mm -hmm. I felt more like I have no other choice. But of course, now retrospective, you know, yeah. I understood I had a choice, but not in my feeling. I didn't have a choice. So, mm -hmm. so that's why I didn't feel like I was brave. I was just doing the steps that was needed for me in order to get what I wanted. 
you know, and uh, yeah, that's how I was dealing with it. Um, yeah, but I, I was dealing with a lot of self-doubt for many, 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 many years. Yeah, and thank you for sharing this because mm. I think it's also, this is something very relatable, I would say. Uh, pretty much anyone who listens to this, who is not even just a freelance dance artist, even even in yeah. a company, even someone that has a job, I think these self-doubts, these are something that we can all relate to and maybe we don't, there is a bit of shame around this topic. Mm. So we also feel very isolated in these moments. Like mm. you're the only one that is in this situation, <laughs> which is obviously not right because yeah. there are so many people in the same boat. So I think that's, even that, just hearing that is valid, you know. Mm. But, you know, even um, this I see as a quality because imagine you don't have self-doubt. You would be just happy with who you are and not needing to work on yourself <laughs> either. <Yeah>. So so <laughs> the self-doubt, is it also brings you further, right? It, it You question, you doubt about you and your choices, which is super important for your growth. Yeah. So uh, being uh, having self-doubt is important uh, fact for, for you as a human being. But then, of course, it's, again, question of the balance. How much self-doubt is healthy and how much is just destroying you and not making you move to the direction that you actually want to. So, uh, and this is the, the battle that everyone has to face at some point. And unfortunately, most people face that when they are really older, you know, and then they regret, why didn't I just didn't give a shit about what other people think? Mm. Uh, and I just went for the things that I actually wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one thing that I love uh, about getting older because I started to have more self-confidence with the age and as many fear getting older I'm like no it's so cool <laughs> because now you get to do the stuff that uh, before you were maybe you didn't feel like you could do it or mm -hmm. I don't know you know you have plenty of excuses to not do things when you're younger <laughs> uh, yeah. but when there's you get time, older there's time. and there's time to do it exactly but then when you get old at least in my case it's like this I'm like hell yeah I'm gonna do it now <laughs> you know and I don't give a shit what other people uh, think because they don't live my life right yeah. they, they don't walk in my shoes that's awesome <laughs> and I guess also from what I'm hearing the um, the key maybe we can say is mm. to use the self-doubt as a leverage point mm -hmm. and not as this deep pool to dive in mm. and stay in the darkness in a way. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I think that pain is a part of life mm -hmm. and that many times when you look backwards, and I think maybe the listeners, you can think of, reflect about your own life, these points where you made the biggest life-changing decisions, many times it came from a painful mm -hmm. point of your life that Absolutely. pushed you into taking massive action, into changing, into saying, no more, I cannot be in the situation anymore, I'm taking an action. So to recognize this, these patterns, what it does is that it helps us when we get hurt or when we have self-doubt, we can recognize it from this other time that it happened to us and say like, oh, I remember that I've been there. I remember it felt just as dark, mm -hmm. but I actually overcame it. Mm -hmm. So I can do it again. 
Exactly. And you know, now that you say this about um, the life, that's how life works, right? Uh, you can copy paste this concept onto your body. And again, I like to make the, the connections, how dance artists already have so much knowledge, but they're not aware of it. So you thinking about your body and you are in pain somewhere, it's because your body is trying to tell you something you need to change, either right. because you're working with a bad technique or uh, there is a, a muscle that you need to strengthen or something, right? But it's the, like you say, it's the painful action that makes you uh, go further and make something um, that works better for you. So how you, how most dancers deal with their bodies, they don't deal the same way with their life but it's actually the same thing hmm. it's always the same thing yeah this is so true i i also love making these connections they and they always work so <laughs> yeah I, I find it great um so oh man i have so many things i need to ask you <laughs> i need to make some some sense here because i don't want to make it a three hour i mean i do want to make it a three hour <laughs> interview but <laughs> i don't know if people uh, would have the stamina for that um so let me think. I want to talk a little bit about your research. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say that you did a research a part of your Meister program. Yeah. And no, listeners, I am not making a mistake. It's not a master program. It is a nope. Meister program. Yeah. So, and um, it also connected to the lecture that you gave about professional identity in dance. And I want to dive into it a little bit now. So first of all, maybe you can clarify what exactly this Meister program means. Mm -hmm. And just talk a bit about your research. How did you get to do it? How did it all come to be? Just like very mm -hmm. quickly so we can talk about it. Sure, sure. So uh, the Meister Studium is actually in Paluca. I'm not sure if it's uh, German-wide the only concept like this. I'm not sure. I think so. Uh, but you need to have already a master in order to apply. And it can be a little bit compared to a PhD but just not with the whole uh, theoretical background. Um, it's more practical oriented and you get monthly uh, financial support uh, for two years from the state, in my case, state of Saxony, uh, to do your research. And That's you are amazing. basically, yeah, I know it's, it's fantastic and I, I'm still speechless that <laughs> I got this opportunity. Basically, to um, I'm, I was my own boss. I chose my own themes, subjects, research methods, and everything. And you choose even your own exams, uh, how they will look like and what to present. So it's really um, not like you being a student, but you being a full-on researcher and being paid for it. Amazing. So that's basically what it is. Incredible. I know. I know. It's It's crazy. <laughs> Yes, and then, so when I started, it was uh, the beginning of uh, the pandemic, kind of. And uh, my original research uh, was supposed to be a little bit different, but uh, because of the pandemic, I adjusted and I chose something that I could do also online. And uh, I was mainly interested in the interaction between dancers and dancers. And the interaction between dancers and choreographers, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, to talk about what's happening on stage, of course, it starts there between dancers and choreographer, but then also among the dancers. 
So then I um, dived more into, okay, so how uh, do they perceive themselves in an uh, artistic uh, process? What is it what they need in order to be the dancer that they want to be and so on? So I started just, uh, I did some residencies uh, when uh, I was able to do it. And otherwise I started with interviews. And I just interviewed, uh, yeah, dance artists throughout the dance scenes, like from the company world, uh, ballet, contemporary, and free scene, uh, contemporary and uh, commercial. And I just asked, started to ask everybody about their self-perception uh, being a dance artist. And that's how I developed it to the question, what does it take to actually be a dance artist nowadays? Because... Um, yeah, in my own observation, I think what everybody also knows who has somehow been involved into a university or a Hochschule uh, of dance, that main professors, teachers, they are older and they are not connected to the current dance market anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, they have been maybe dancing uh, 30 years ago and the market looked very, very different to nowadays. So the question is, who, what are they educating the dancers that actually is not fitting for the current dance scene, you know? And it may work for some ballet worlds because there it's still very crazy <laughs> let's say in a nice word <laughs> Nicely put. yes yes um where if you don't function in a certain way then simply yeah you're out you're not selected and then where else to go because every other ballet company also works like this in a crazy way uh yeah it's very rare to have a healthy director in in the ballet world but then in all the others i feel like there's more freedom to yeah, to have a healthy relationship in that sense. And uh, so I was curious to compare what's the experience of freelance dance artists and uh, theater dance artists. What are the common grounds, the issues, the problems, but also, yeah, the, the common sense, you know. And, of course, in the meantime, I was... Um, working with Dances Connect, so all these issues were, of course, given. And, yeah, that's how I slowly developed it to, uh, okay, actually, it's about identity. And that's how I came up to, uh, this is um, the identity of our profession in dance. Yeah, and actually, I think that listeners can go on your Instagram profile and see some of the results of the surveys, yeah. right? Yeah, Exactly. It's really interesting. I really encourage everyone to check it out. Um, <laughs> so when we talk about professional identity in dance, I don't want to talk about it too much, but mm -hmm. just to touch it a little bit, maybe I will quote another. <laughs> I love quoting. Whoever mm -hmm. listens to this podcast, <laughs> they know that I love quoting. I want to quote another dancer from, from your research that said, I didn't realize how much I was attached to the dance identity. I lost that identity, but now looking back, I'm not sure what it is I lost. Mm. I found it so powerful, yes. by the way, this quote. Yeah. And I was wondering, speaking about your research topic, professional identity in dance, 
what do you actually mean when you talk about professional identity in general? And how does it translate to the dance world in particular? Mm. And well, I know it's a huge topic. I, yeah, I know that huge. you've been researching it and it's like, <laughs> you know it from top to bottom. So really just like the most basic um, understandings that you got from your research. I mean, basically, we all want to identify with something or someone or with a group of people, right? Um, right. To feel connected, to feel valued, to, to feel our existence. We want to identify constantly with certain things. And also people identify you with certain things, whether you want it or not, but they look mm -hmm. at you and they put you in box, whether you, are, you look like a female or uh, you have brown hair, uh, blah, blah, you know, right. like it can be something superficial like this. But then also, of course, it comes a lot with behavior. Uh, you behave in a certain way uh, in order to identify with others who also behave in a certain way. Um, for example, you can you can tell when, uh, I don't know, you're wearing a rasta and listening to <laughs> reggae. Um, most likely people, you know, who look like this, they... Yeah, they connect easier because they have the same ground, let's say. And so it is with, with dance artists. I feel like wherever I go <laughs> in this planet <laughs> that we are living on and I meet a dancer, wow, there's immediate connection. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's like we are made out of uh, similar wood somehow. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels a bit like this. Yeah. So it's we identify to a certain image that we create. And um, it has, yeah, it has to do with, with an image and with a behavior. And in a professional context, it means everything that has to do with the job as a profession. Uh, because, of course, you can identify as a disco dancer, but then we don't talk about the profession. So identifying uh, when it comes in terms of uh, profession, that's why it's called professional identity in dance. Because a professional identity you can have as an engineer, you can have as an architect, you can have, you know, they, they are all professional identities to every profession and that's why I called it in dance to be specific yeah I feel like very intuitively it's it is self-explanatory when we think about dance and identity and how strongly we are identified with our profession I actually spoke about it in my last interview that is not out yet also very in, a, in an intuitive way and I think it's super fascinating to actually hear and read some of your results and it's really interesting we're going to talk later about how people can get some of the information mm -hmm. but I want to connect that to a topic you talked about in your lecture which is how our self-validation and worth as dancer can depend on two things that we can control and you know this better than me one is the body and one is the outside view mm -hmm. so for example if it comes to the body let's say that as dancers age, which is something that obviously we cannot control, mm -hmm. then sometimes the skills also decrease. And then we might feel like our sense of value decreases as well. Mm -hmm. And so you gave a suggestion that I really want to share with the listeners, which is to try to see how we can find ourselves independent of our body and practical skills. Mm -hmm. And I really want to hear you speak about this a little bit and what are some of the ways to actually do that and why is it so important? Yeah, 
It is important because exactly what you said, that people identify as a person with this idea that only you create, but you are not the idea. The idea is the idea, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and right. so if that idea kind of gets destroyed, meaning when dancers don't, cannot dance anymore, then their whole personality kind of collapse, right? Because right. Uh, who are you if you don't dance, right? Because you worked your whole life towards it and it was your dream. It was everything you went for it. So who are you if dance is not in your life? And of course, you still exist, right? <laughs> you still exist. You existed before and without dance. And, and that's a bit of value that kind of is missing throughout our whole education. Um, that who are you besides, yeah, the dance skills? And what about the disabled dancers? There are disabled dancers out there. Are they not a person? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, uh, connecting with your skills I mean, it's nice, but you should not put so much value on it that you get destroyed if you cannot exercise it anymore. Because that point will come once you get older. And you know, it's funny because in the survey I did, I also got some really uh, interesting comments, let's say. Mm -hmm. And I could tell that this person was young. I, I could see it. I mean, I, it was all anonymous, but uh, they gave the information about their age, right? And so this young dancer was kind of pissed off about the question, what do you consider to do after you finish your dance career, you know? <laughs> so that yeah. question was already triggering for this person, which I'm sorry, I never said that you will stop. It was just a question if you have an attendant, you know, to, to do something else. And others were very cool with it and said, um, I will continue in the end. I will do this and that, you know, like very easy peasy. But I could tell the ones who felt uh, triggered. Yeah, interesting. It, yeah, it, 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 it has to do. I was triggering their identity. Mm. How dare you to even put myself in a position where I have to choose. <laughs> yeah, my darling, let's talk again in 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> Because you will have to choose at some point. And I'm not saying you have to leave the dance world. I never left the dance world. Right. I'm fully, fully indulging in the dance world, but just in different forms. And the fact that there are different forms in the dance uh, field I think if more people would understand that, then when there comes a change in their life to, to the dance profession, it would not be so tragic. You know, it would not be so, yeah, dramatic uh, to, to change, to shift, to give yourself a different skill or to different quality or, I mean, who are you if you don't dance uh, again? Like, Who are you with your sisters, with your brothers? Who are you with your mom? Who are you with your neighbors? Who are you with the person that is uh, sitting at the cashier in Lidl? Um, mm -hmm. yeah. You know, these are all moments where you are not the dancer and you are a person. So it, again, it comes down to your behavior and your thinking and the way you approach life. And the dance part is just one part uh, it's one aspect of your life and 
I understand. I mean, I feel like I was living and breathing dance, but I also had, I don't know, uh, I understood that, that there are other things in life that are also important. And it doesn't decrease your importance about dance at all. And I, I think that's a bit the danger that dance artists think only if I do this, I'm worth it. And if I don't do it, I'm not worth it. And yeah. it's simply not true. It's the biggest lie that they create themselves or that they've been taught. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm super happy that you're saying this. And I think maybe we can connect it to this super sweet question that you asked the students in the beginning of your lecture when you asked them what is the connection between a spider and a dancer and I think that is very much connected to what we just spoke about mm. I know the answer because I listened to the lecture but maybe you can speak a bit about that and connect it really to this feeling of networking and knowing that you have other interests and other legs other yes. than just dance. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have this image actually from Lisa Jokt, which is the new president of the union GDBA. Uh, she was speaking in, in her podcast about it. You know, the artists should be like spiders. You create many, many legs to different knowledge and, uh, and skills that actually, in case of one leg, you know, drops off that you have still enough other legs to stand and be able to walk and and also to create, in a way, a network, like a spider net, you know, that to fall back on. And if we are many doing that, then it's easier to fall back on because then you, your net will be stronger and wider, right? right. And I, I just love this image too. And again, it brings us to the beginning of our um, interview that everything you do, also do it for others you know <laughs> like to to help to increase uh to, yeah to improve the situations not only for yourself but also for others because it will yeah. it will come back to you at some point and you will need it and everybody needs help at some point and then of course it's it's hard if you cannot accept that help even though you need it i also had to learn to to accept it i was I was brought up in a way that nothing is for free and nobody ever will help me. So I have to do it myself. And that worked for a very long time until it didn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and I had to learn the hard way. Like we all learn things the hard way. Otherwise you don't learn it um, to uh, let yourself be helped by others. And so then it's also easier for you to help others because you know, yeah, It's just what we need sometimes as human beings. And as long as we live on this planet together, it's better that we watch out for each other, you know. Yeah, and I think also one of the suggestions that you gave on your lecture was to try and... I'm sorry if what I say is also going to trigger some of our listeners, but try to separate your private and professional mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And... Not only that, maybe see how you can create a second or a third profession. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I know that it might trigger um, some of our listeners because this is not the way that many of us were brought up and yeah. the way that we're used to thinking about. But 
I really do find it super meaningful. And I will share, I will not get into it too much now because I, I haven't even mentioned it yet in any of my podcasts. And I will do a special episode about this as well. But I also had to face uh, almost a year now, I would say, that I decided to take a break from dancing because of health reasons. And I was definitely bombarded that would be the only proper word to use by this reality that all of my life was about dance all of my friends were from the dance world and as I started going away of this which we can also call the bubble of the dance world which is also Mm -hmm. something you talk about Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you realize that you don't have these legs. So mm-hmm. some one part of you was cut off and you simply collapse. And it makes you feel so isolated. And exactly this entire identity of yourself is being questioned. And this is why I find it really meaningful to hear, to see how you can create relationships outside of the dance world. See mm-hmm. how you can check who you are outside of the dance world. What kind of life you built for yourself and I think that this is a process that I had to go through and it was very painful but I learned so much through it also now that I am dancing again and I took it with me now that I am back I see things differently and I think it's worth mentioning even even just if now some people will hear it and it will enter from one ear and live through the other ear because I know it's it's a concept that is sometimes hard to deal with. I think it's just worth mentioning. You know, and people should not um, mistaken that what we mean is that you need to do the, the professions uh, at the same time, like simultaneously. Um, of course, in order to become a professional dancer, you need to dive at some point only into the dance technique and all of that in order to become even a professional dancer. But uh, once you have created that base and uh, once you start to work, uh, I can give some examples. I have friends uh, who, for example, they always loved photography or another person likes to uh, create video editing or another person likes to create... um, actually IT uh, thing like uh, websites and so on. And they started off as hobbies and they kind of got really good into it that now they are actually transitioning into video editor, professional one, uh, into IT person (laughs) and uh, yeah, photographer. So so cool. Yeah, exactly. So, and it can start very softly with something. And I'm not saying every hobby has to turn into a profession, of course, but those are potentials that people can already start to be a bit aware of while they are dancing, you know, because you said a very, very uh, true sentence before that you don't have time to do everything, right? When, when do you want to do all of that? Uh, And you have to think about your future and the pension and blah and the taxes, how does that work? And so on, right? It is overwhelming and it is too much. And I, I feel like our basic schools make a really bad 
job to prepare us for life in general. (laughs) But I believe they know why they do it like this. Mm. Mm. Uh, if you know less then you have you raise less questions and you ha- you don't even have time to raise the question exactly so, yes. yeah um but then yeah just becoming aware if you are dependent on your body uh, it this can be also other professions not only dance artists then just to back up you know because maybe your mind lives a bit longer than your body that is functioning the way it is functioning now yeah totally and also i think exactly what you say you don't have to do everything at the same time i think Mm -hmm. we should just try to not be so afraid if we feel curious about other things and i think i remember many years ago when i was doing some freelancing in berlin and i had exactly this like gap time that we spoke about and i was very young back then And I remember very intuitively, I had things that I was interested in that I could do in this time Mm -hmm. in between, but this fear in me of not dancing, of not being a dancer, of not only dancing, da-da-da-da-da, it didn't allow me to actually give it a chance while I had the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think we narrow ourselves down because of fear or usually the base of Many of our the decisions we take is fear. And to give ourselves the chance, if we have some spare time, if we feel some natural curiosity, there is nothing wrong with it. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything. It doesn't diminish anything from your value as a dancer, as a person, as a human being. It's And, and this is a concept that I needed to take a st- many steps back in mm-hmm. order to see it when I came back after and yeah, I think it's it's very much worth mentioning. You know, now just a, a story came back into my mind while I was w- listening to you that I was working my ass off in Switzerland to get enough money to go to the States to train my ass off over there. Mm-hmm. And I was working so much, I didn't really train, so my body was not prepared. And guess what happened in the second class uh, was in the states Something and of painful. course yes <laughs> i had a major injury because my body was not prepared mm-hmm. and i was uh, there for half a year not being really able to to take classes to dance and i was crying my head off of course yeah and uh and at some point i was uh, walking on the street with uh, uh bumping into the ballet teacher and she asked me, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. What's happening? And then I cried. I said, oh, I had an accident. I cannot come, blah, blah, blah. And she stayed very calm. And I think that was the lesson in my life. <laughs> uh, she stayed very calm. And she looked at me and she's like, oh, great. Now you have time to do something else. Hmm. And I was like, boom. And I stopped crying immediately. It hit me. It really hit me. I'm like, oh, Exactly what I said before, you know, instead of staying here being feeling bad, what yeah. I cannot do, appreciate what I can do. So, you know, I went to the library and I started, we didn't have internet yet at the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I started to read and, you know, about choreography and all of that. And I went to the dance schools and I sat down and I watched because from watching, you learn so much. 
And of course, it was very painful. My my tears were scrolling down, you know, yeah. my cheeks. Yeah. But I knew uh, I, I have to take advantage of what I can do and not cry about what I cannot do. Because right now I cannot change it. And to be honest, uh, I went to therapy uh, during that time who were specialized for dancers. So oh, I wow. learned actually even more about me and my body as if I would have taken those dance classes. I swear. Wow. So the moment I came back, I was stronger because I went to the fitness studio. I was stronger and I had no more knowledge than I had before. And I'm, it was very painful, but wow, I was actually even better than before, even though I had to have a year of no dance training, you know. But I, I started to understand, okay, there are different ways how to train. And actually, there are healthier ways how to train, you know. And I, it, it took me, my, like this accident for me to understand that. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. And mm. I think that with this beautiful message, we're going to wrap it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I still have so many things that I would <laughs> like to speak with you. We will just have to do a follow-up conversation, <laughs> maybe in like half a year or a year exactly. and see where you are at and the things, the, the new things that you learned in your new position, which I'm mm -hmm. very excited about. Mm -hmm. um, well, I always do that, even though you already gave so many incredible messages. Is there anything that you still feel like you want to share any last message something you feel like you wanted to say but you didn't get a chance now is your time <laughs> <laughs> i think to just encourage everyone to be courageous yeah like yeah ask yourself if you are afraid of something of not doing something but you actually want to do it what are you afraid of What is it really you are afraid of? And then go in there. Yeah, because usually there's no reason to be afraid of. <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you so much. And before we finish, mm -hmm. if people want to follow you, read more about you, get all the latest updates, where can they find you? I think the best is uh, to go on my website, nataliewagner.ch. And uh, there you can find actually all the informations. So pretty much. And then, of course, you can also email me or on Instagram, actually. Yeah, there's also a lot of information. Nawai Dance. Uh, so N-A-W-A-Y and then dance. <laughs> yeah. I will add all the links in the show notes so people can find you easily. Perfect. And... I still have so many things I would love to talk with you about, but I feel like it's been so incredible and I feel so grateful for this time. And I really want to thank you for this investment. And mm -hmm. I encourage also the listeners, I'm, I think I'm going, if it's possible, to link your lecture in. And people can people s still watch it? How is it working? Uh, it works like that, that you have to email me and ask me for the link because then uh, I will send you uh, the link with the password because the password keeps changing. Okay. Um, and it is as pay uh, as you can, you know. Mm -hmm. So I will give you my bank account and then you can just pay whatever you want and can pay. Um, and then I give you the, the code, the password. 
for it. Yeah, this is, and I really encourage the listeners to check it out. I referenced so many things, but believe <laughs> me, this is really just the tip of the iceberg. So there are so many interesting also things that you learned through your research and it's just incredible. So the topic is professional identity in dance. And if you're interested to hearing this lecture, then I will also explain it in the show notes again just yeah. the, for the sake of the listeners that couldn't follow it by the end and oh. you are super encouraged to do it so with yes. that i'm gonna thank, thank you, so you again thank you really. i feel very honored <laughs> very very much thank you so much for doing this it's so important and i told you this before eh? that dance artists like you do that and it took you courage. It took you guts to do it, but you're doing it and you're doing it really, really greatly. So thank you for your courage and to do it and to be, yeah, an eye opener, I think, for many others, you know, to give different insights uh, from, from the dancing that is so valuable. So my thanks goes really back to you. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much, Nazali. <laughs> and I wish you all the best and success in your new job. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Same, same. Thank you. <laughs> and here we are. Another episode of Inside Contemporary Dance has come to a close. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with Natalie and found it meaningful. I strongly encourage everyone listening to watch her lecture on professional identity in dance. All you need to do is email Natalie at nw at She will then send you a link with a password in exchange for a donation payment of your choice. If you want to find out more about Natalie, you can read about her in the show notes or by visiting our website, www.insidecontemporarydance.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Inside Contemporary Dance. If you liked this episode and found it interesting or meaningful in any way, please make sure to subscribe, leave a rating or review, and most importantly, share it with anyone who might find value in it. If this was your first episode of Inside Contemporary Dance, I hope this can be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. If you're a returning listener, welcome back, friend. Join me again next episode to experience more conversations about dance in which I, my beautiful Israeli accent, and most importantly, an exciting new guest will be diving deeper into the many facets of the world of dance. And until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay tuned. Yalla bye.